Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Now, on this week's episode, I have two of my new favorite friends who I met at the Malofier Infographic World Summit in Pamplona, Spain, uh, now a few months ago. So I'm happy to be joined by Anna Flagg from the Marshall Project. Anna, welcome to the show. Hi. Again, welcome back to the show, I should say. Yes, happy to be here again. Yes, uh, great to have you. And also with us today is Javier Tharathina from Vox News, uh, right up the street from me, actually, in D.C. Uh, Javier, how are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. Welcome to the show, both of you. We're going to dive in to a topic that uh, caused some fights amongst those of us at Malofier and uh, on the jury. So let me sort of set the scene for folks. Uh, we were asked to judge 899 online data visualization projects. Uh, there were some overlaps in there, but there were 899 in total. I always feel like they should just added one more to give us that nice round number. And some of the entries to uh, to the contest were some of the political, call them maybe dashboards for lack of a better term, but the, some of the political websites that were produced by places like the New York Times, Washington Post, 538, uh, surrounding the presidential election from last year. And we had quite an in-depth conversation about whether those uh, projects should be considered for a prize of data visualizations when it turns out that a lot of the data used in those dashboards were not reliable. The, the polling uh, was seemed to be fairly uh, far off uh, from what uh, people expected. Um, so I think what we want to do is sort of maybe uh, have that conversation again uh, for everyone so that we can we maybe broaden this conversation. I think the, the core question is, is a data visualization where the data are not very good, is that a visualization that we should celebrate or one that we should critique? And um, let me just start the, the fight, because I'm hoping we're going to fight a little bit. Um, <laughs> let me just start the fight a little bit by saying one of the things that I take away from this is that we only know that the data in these visualizations were no good after the fact. And we're able to judge the visualizations in that way because we know the data are not so good now. Uh, but not so much at the time. And we don't usually judge other visualizations in the same way because we don't know that the data are, are bad. We don't know the quality of the data. We just sort of take it at face value. So I'm not sure if that's the right place to start, but um, maybe, Anna, you can start with with maybe your take on, on some of these things and, and we can just uh, go from there. Yeah, sure. So coming from a place of journalism, I guess that my point of view on it is, Regardless of how beautiful or well-designed or, you know, enjoyable to use any kind of data visualization is, if the information that's communicated is not correct, then it's a failure. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit unfair that there are some projects that we never end up finding out that the data behind them is incorrect. And because of that, they never end up getting critiqued. And so, yeah, okay, so they got lucky. But that doesn't mean that it's we're going to say it's okay when other projects, um, we do know that the data was, was incorrect. And so that's kind of my point of view on it. All right. Okay, Javier, so what's your take on this topic? Yeah, I agree with Anna in that, in that regard. Uh, when we were judging Malofiek, Malofiek is a, is a journalistic graphic uh, contest. So for me, it was very important that to know that the visualization achieve a journalistic purpose 
and it's true that we didn't that that we didn't know of all the the quality of the data of, of all the visualization that we judged, but this particular visualization were very high profile and and it was and we we couldn't help knowing that the data was wrong. Uh, I remember that I make this joke that you wouldn't present to a gastronomic contest uh, a dish that is poisonous and, and yeah. awarded. So that's with, uh, I, I think that these graphics and this visualization have uh, obviously some consequences during the during the elections, mm -hmm. and despite you know all the innovative and, and well done and, and beautiful and, and certainly they are really nice pieces of, of infographics uh, or and, and graphic visualization, but despite all of it, they were kind of a journalistic failure. So it, it was very difficult to award it in that in that regard. I guess part of the um, – and maybe I'll just play devil's advocate for this show. Um, I mean I think one of the things about having the journalistic value um, or the quality is that you know, it's not like the news organizations were collecting the data. It's not like 538 was collecting the polling data. And really you know, pretty much everyone was in agreement of where things were headed. You, know, you two are journalists. So as journalists, how do you take that responsibility when you're working with data when you really – in some ways can't assess the quality of it. You know, in some ways you're really unable to assess, you can assess the quality of an individual polling survey, right? I mean, right. you have to sort of take for granted in some ways that the, the firm doing the poll is doing it well. But how do you sort of, you know, accept that the quality is high enough to use, which is what everybody was doing, uh, you know, in 2016? Well, I think that it's a journalist's job to vet the data and, Sometimes it is not data that you have collected. And this is why, I mean, people who work with data who are journalists, data journalists are pretty paranoid. You know, they're worried all the time about whether their data is correct. And that's why before any, you publish anything, you know, there's there's a very long kind of vetting and error checking and comparison stage where, you know, whatever source you're getting the data from, you kind of interrogate that source. And then you also talk to other people who are kind of from other sources and you compare things and it's just, it's a huge part of the process. And I, I think it's just part of journalism. So I, I don't know. I, I just really feel like it is kind of part of the responsibility of a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, I don't think that there is, you know, um, a particular failure in betting the data or kind of thinking about it. I think that it was a failure as a industry that we put a lot of emphasis in this kind of horse race, uh, polling, visualization, and, and, you know, we were, we were trying to create a very dramatic story about these polling uh, visualizations, and, and it was wrong. So it's, you know, it's something that probably cannot, couldn't have been avoided with the, with the data that we have, but it's something that we have to reflect after, the, after it. And certainly, you know, awarding this uh, visualization wouldn't help to make a reflection about them. Yeah, I think yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that there was such a huge focus on horse race style predictions heading right. up to the election, when actually as a voter, it's much more useful to know things about um, policy, right? I mean, when exactly. I'm trying to make a decision at the polls, that's what I want to know about. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of like whether it was a failure of vetting or not, 
I guess what I'm saying is there were voices ahead of the election who were arguing that these polling numbers are not correct. And if you listen to certain people, if you were more diverse in the people that you listen to, then you were kind of uh, getting some of that information. So that's just one thing that I would put out there. But I guess from from, say, you know, from whoever's perspective, they were like 538, for example, they were collecting polling data from lots of different places and the polling data tended to line up. So isn't that from their perspective, aren't they doing their due diligence by vetting, by taking surveys from different polling places in different uh, parts of the country? Well, I'm not sure how diverse their polling really was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I I don't either. I just know, I just know that their approach is their core approach and Nate Silver's approach has always been to average the polls, you know, that Mm -hmm. he collects more than one poll and the polls all sort of pointed in the same direction, but clearly at their core, they were all incorrect. And maybe the polling industry sort of has some, some blinders on, um, sort of, sort of right. generally. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think that part of the, part of the, this thing is that in the media were storytellers and the thing that was happening in my opinion is that we, we were in love with this story of, you know, that, that happened in previous election where the polls were, accurate and with and and were kind of dramatic and we were trying to to tell the story oh look at the polls look at the horses look at look at the difference and also uh, also were causing uh, we we were using the polls in a reassuring way like okay you know the, we have this uh, extraordinary candidate but don't worry because the polls are saying otherwise mm-hmm. And I think that that's the key. Not not that the polls were. I am not blaming the polls, or I'm not even blaming. Certainly, I'm not blaming the visualizations. I'm blaming our bias and our, our and our lack of judgment in the big story. And and the polls were just a, were just a tool in the way we told the story. And but in this case, we weren't. It, they weren't the right tool. That's mm-hmm. that's. Uh, I think that that was the mistake. Right. There was probably too much faith put in those polls, not enough time spent thinking about their biases, as, as Javier said. The biases of the, of the polling firm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was just saying, I think the horse race analogy is, is the right one. I mean, I think that's where people tended to focus their attention on both sides. You know, it's being supplied by the data, by the journalists, and then people demand more and more of it because they sort of every day you want to come back in and see, okay, where do we stand today? It's both supply and demand, and so it's interesting to think about how places might change their approach, you know, in the U.S. at least, coming up in 2018. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you and me talked about this a little bit in our yeah. last conversation, John, as well. Um, but, you know, we, we don't always necessarily have to only publish the thing that we know is going to get the most clicks. I yeah. mean, right. this polling stuff, it, it became very addictive. Like, every day you would get up and you would check, you know, the front pages of all these dashboards and you would probably do it many times during the day. And, you know, obviously that generated like a massive amount of interest and, and clicks. Um, but I don't think that that means that that's what we have to do. Mm. Yeah. And I, I really like what Anna said that, uh, you know, since, um, we were concentrating too many resources and too many time and attention in the polls and not explaining other areas of policy and other areas of the history of the election that, that, you know, people only have uh, some time in the day. And if most of the stories is about how the polls are going up and down or the difference between the polls, but we're not talking of, I don't know, climate uh, warming or policy or healthcare, then we are doing a disservice to the audience. Right. Yeah. Javier, the other point you made was about 
um, our role as judges at Malofier and not wanting to reward these particular entries uh, because of these core issues. You want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, and it was heartbreaking not to be able to reward some of the words that we saw because certainly you know they were great visualizations. Mm-hmm. And they were really uh, polished, some of them really innovative and, and beautiful and then presenting the information with clarity. So, you know, it was, they were really worthy uh, pieces of visualization. But, <laughs> but yeah. as I said, they, but it was like, ah, damn, we cannot, we cannot reward them. Right. Because I think that we were really strict in, in trying to, whenever we were uh, judging any entry, we were thinking, okay, what's the journalistic value? How is this visualization helping to tell or to, or to explain or to clarify a journalistic story? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that we were in agreement in, in that criteria. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you're too off from the, the dashboard discussion. I want to come back, but I think it's consistent with our, you know, we gave a, a gold medal to the New York Times for their tweets during the Olympics of the little, you know, gifts of people swimming back and forth. I think we spent a lot of time talking about, like, what is the message that we as judges are sending to the community about what it is to communicate data with, you know, new tools and, and new and new interfaces, but let's turn back to a little bit to the to the dashboard. So the way I kicked this conversation off was back to, okay, so we know now that the data were really bad, but we didn't know at the time. So I guess my question is, is that logic fair to judge two visualizations, you know, sort of separate <laughs> them because we we know ex post that the, the political data were were far off, but we don't know, for example, that the um, times in the Olympic visualizations from the Washington right. Post, you know, we don't know that those were those are correct. We just assume that they are. That's right. Yeah. Well, obviously, when you are judging a piece that have been published, you have your expertise only reached to a to a degree, and and you know some some of the pieces. You, you really don't know what's the process or what the thing. But yeah. uh, the, the other thing that was worrying to me is that we know that visual uh, presentations are a, are a very powerful tool to transmit information. So we need to be extra careful in that area. When you, put, when you create a graphic, you are adding an aura, an aura of expertise and an aura of... of uh, uh, it looks very authoritative when you chart something because you are telling, okay, I have all the information, so I'm able to chart it. You are not making an opinion piece. You know, immediately, the, just the act of plotting and charting something, you are adding a line of, of oh, oh, my God, if I'm seeing this graphic, it is authoritative. So, in the, so we should be much more rigorous in awarding something that, that has been visualized, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think actually what Javier said earlier, too, about what an impact these dashboards had is also kind of relevant to to this discussion of fairness. I mean, because I, I think, you know, it, it might not be like technically strictly fair if, you know, there's one visualization that was kind of low pro- profile and it had error in the data and we missed it. And because of that, it was able to just get by. So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not technically fair, but also these dashboards had such a massive reach, they had such a massive impact. So, you know, obviously with that is going to come greater scrutiny. And, you know, because the data it means more and it like has a bigger effect, mm-hmm. it, that kind of that brings a certain responsibility with it. You know, and I think that's just that's just reality. Yep. When it comes to presenting these sorts of data, 
there's a high level of uncertainty around them. And so do you think that the pieces that we saw did a good job of explaining or visualizing that uncertainty? I mean, there's margin of error around polling. I wonder what you think about how they did in general, you know, in general terms, did it sort of conveying that uncertainty around these polling numbers? No, that's that's a very good question. But yeah, I think that they, uh, they, they weren't concentrating on, the, on showing the uncertainty. And yeah, we did a, we as as a industry in general, we did a, a poor job of explaining the uncertainty. I think that that's a very good story. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's a story that we know after the results that oh, that we should we should have been uh, better to explain the uncertainty, and we should have been uh, concentrated in in visualize that uncertainty. But then again, it's after the it's after the result. Yeah. I think places like 538 really have a reputation for, you know, being very accurate and being very precise. Um, and maybe partly because of that, I don't know, there, there's a certain just image that comes with that. And because of that, there's much less emphasis on really communicating the uncertainty and communicating when they are uncertain about things. Because, I mean, almost all data has some level of uncertainty, but... Right. It's not it's not a, a huge area of emphasis. And I I mean, there are a few projects that I've seen that do a really good job communicating the uncertainty. And I admire them even more for that. Um, I mean, so, you know, the the Bloomberg project about uh, climate change, I think it was was it yeah. a year ago now or you guys uh, know what I'm talking? Yeah, about? yeah a yes, little yes, over yes. a year ago. Yeah. So that was kind of explaining, you know, the temperature change and what all the factors are that that could lead to that. And and I think what they did with uncertainty there was actually really interesting and ended up being really crucial to the story because, you know, they have like a predicted value and then they had an observed value. And those were not exactly the same. Right. Yeah. Right. But there was like a margin of error, which they visualized and they kind of lay within the margin of error of the prediction. And so kind of visualizing the uncertainty there proved that their kind of assertion was likely correct. Right. You know, I don't know if that, if that made, made yeah. any sense. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I thought that was, that was amazing. And also just something that, you know, we can really do more of like kind of creative ways of expressing uncertainty and helping people like understand the data itself and the uncertainty in the data. Yeah, well, I, th- I think that one of the things that happened is that uh, when you are a, 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 a graphic professional and you are creating a graphic, you are editing the graphic to show what you think is the most important information. So in this case, I think that, that what these uh, professionals did was, okay, we are editing these graphics to make very clear what we think that this is the key of the study, and the key of the study was the difference between the candidates. I have seen really good visualizations of, from many of these outlets showing uncertainty, but when but they do that when they when they think that the key story is the uncertainty, and mm-hmm. in this case, we, <laughs> those graphics were trying to to convey precisely the opposite. We're, we're trying to convey certainty. We're trying mm-hmm. to convey okay, the polls are giving are reassuring us that this is the the result, despite all the all the other strange things that are happening in these elections, the polls have the the solution, and that's because partially that that was the story on the previous election. On the previous elections, it was the aggregation of the polls, kind of predicted quite accurately the results of Obama. So we were thinking, okay, this is going to be the same story. So let's concentrate our storytelling in that in that story. And that was the that, that was what I think it was our journalistic bias. It was okay, let's try to use our tools to tell 
the story that our expertise is telling us that is that is happening instead of being more scientific or investigative and try to to think of oh, wow this you know maybe there is other story that I'm that I'm blind yeah i think also there's kind of within the journalism community there are certain tensions that exist between i guess i mean i guess we can call it traditional journalists and then data journalists i don't know if those are the best terms but anyway people who try to you know use data sets to make predictions or people who say okay no that's not the right way you need to go out and talk to people right. um and i mean it gets quite contentious and then they both really feel the need to like prove that they're right and that kind of right. incentivizes them to like maybe act more sure of things than they necessarily are when i mean i think in the end it's really a combination of, of those methods that's going to produce the best journalism mm -hmm. yes do you think the improvements in data and data visualization tools um led people down the road of we can e more easily create these dashboards and and put in a lot of data and make it you know uh, people can get on their mobile phones and it's just easier to do now so let's just start creating those things like was the technology and the speed at which people can do things also one of the factors that's pushing people to create these dashboard type things as opposed to maybe doing the more traditional journalism or telling stories about the the policy itself certainly the technology when when we have some new technology we want to use it and we want to demonstrate oh look how this how look this new uh, visualization or these new tools they are super cool and, and probably your audience thinks that is super cool yeah. so we can be <laughs> it's, it's true that, that there is a temptation to be dazzled by the technology but I think that this new that data visualization uh, uh, that this this displays we, we see some formal innovation but I don't think that it was like a flashy technical innovation yeah I mean it, it's funny because right at the end of the day you know, we come all the way back to these sites and these pages, the, the visualizations, there, there wasn't a ton that was, you know, really innovative from a data visualization standpoint. Um, so we, I think we ended up having this huge conversation and ended up coming back to, well, even all these other factors that we're talking about, the visualizations themselves, they tend to be dot plots and line charts. Um, mm -hmm. And obviously like 9 million different kinds of maps. Um, right. <laughs> so let me uh, close with, with one more question to each of you. Uh, going forward, 2018 with, with U.S. congressional elections or even uh, 2020 with the next presidential election, what are your ho – wow, that seems like a far way off. But um, what, are your, <laughs> what are your hopes for how journalism and newsrooms will approach um, this sort of data and data visualization project? Um, Anna, why don't I start with you? Well – one thing is that I hope that there's more collaboration between the kind of, uh, you know, data journalists and then shoe leather journalists, you know, mm -hmm. just to try to kind of uh, prevent things like this from happening. Um, I mean, that that's going to help everybody in, in all types of journalism. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is, I mean, as we mentioned, like much less emphasis on, you know, trying to make highly precise predictions that may or may not actually be that precise or that accurate, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, I think both of those things would improve coverage a, a lot. And mm -hmm. I mean, we and we talked about this a little bit last time, but like polling is just such a weird thing because it has this kind of observer effect where it has an effect on the thing that it's trying to measure, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. if like, if you're displaying to people 
your predicted results of an election all the time and you keep telling them, oh, Hillary Clinton's going to win, Hillary Clinton's going to win. Like, what effect does that have on voters themselves? And, you know, if they do want Hillary Clinton to win, but they think she's definitely going to win anyway and they don't feel that strongly about about it, do they even bother to go vote? You know, I, I mean, this this is like a just a, a weird uh, effect right. of this type of project that um, I don't think has been talked about too much. Right. Yeah. That's a very good point. Javier, what about yeah. you? What are your hopes and dreams yeah. for the next round of this? <laughs> well, my uh, one of, uh, my hopes are that uh, that we will learn for this lesson and we will use the the really powerful tools of data visualization to explain other stories that are not the whole race and kind of explain more the policies, mm-hmm. explain more the, the issues, and you know. T- t- we will be we will be doing graphics about about polls, but my hope is that we won't be so obsessed about about those kind of graphics, and we will use the really rich tools that data visualization gives to other to tell other stories around politics and policy. That I think that will be more helpful to our audience. That that just you know, <laughs> and that that a sport poll, yeah, and, yeah that yeah. obsession about the polls. I also hope that Donald Trump does not get reelected. <laughs> just going on record right there, right? Yeah, I'm just, yeah exactly. saying it. <laughs> All right. Well, Anna, Javier, thanks for coming on the show. Um, yeah, it's always fun to talk to you, too. And we should also give a shout out to Michael Brenner, who was also one of our co-judges and went around and around with us on, on this topic as well. So a little shout out to Michael. And um, again, thanks to you both for coming on the show. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. And thanks to everybody else for tuning in to this week's episode. Uh, Just a few episodes left until summer vacation. So uh, once again, thanks for tuning in to the Policy Viz podcast. And thanks again for listening.